This is the Iowa State Athletics SciCast. Hi everybody, I'm John Walters. Today's SciCast is with 11-time Iowa Sports Writer of the Year, Rick Brown. Rick recently retired from a distinguished career at the Des Moines Register. He is still considered one of the great college basketball writers in America. We hope you'll enjoy our visit with Rick Brown. Well, Rick, first of all, before we talk about all your years covering Iowa State basketball teams, I just want to touch on your passion for the business. And I'm guessing that so much of that came from your dad and the, the highly successful career that he had in, in Fort Dodge. Just Is that where the, the passion for this came from for you? Absolutely. And uh, first off, thanks for remembering him. I appreciate that. Yeah, he, I would work there part-timer uh, in high school, and uh, he would always buy my buy me a scorebook each Christmas, and I would go to games and keep a scorebook like he did. So I guess that's where it started. You, you have to have a passion for it, as you know, John, in journalism. You don't do it to get rich. Once a bug bit, I, I was hooked. I was hooked all the way. What did you enjoy about it the most? I loved the games, and I loved the strategy behind the games. But as I evolved in the career, what I really enjoyed was the relationships you established with the athletes and the coaches. That is something, uh, now that I'm not doing it full-time, that I really miss. And and I'm not talking about being a homer. I'm not talking about being buddy-buddy. I'm just talking about getting to know these people and see how they, you know, how they operate, why they're successful, what works for some guys, what doesn't work for others, and just the passion they had for the games they played. Did you find that that became harder and harder to do uh, through the years? Because it seems like, you know, some of these guys have been burned now a few times or they're making so much money that they're super careful not to get too close to anybody, and it's more of an arm's length type relationship and I know that you were still able to break down some of those walls toward the end of your career but is it a thicker wall to get through than it used to be you know John I think if you were starting right now it would definitely be a thicker wall but I think the fact that I've been around a while so every time a new coach would come in maybe people were putting in a good word for me I don't know but I was very very lucky in that I I really didn't work with many coaches who were jerks to be honest with you most of them were I mean, some of them are, are I consider friends today, and uh, even even some who didn't who even didn't have uh, very successful careers. But uh, it all comes down to trust. A coach has to trust his players to execute under pressure. Well, I felt that uh, you know, at least on the coaching aspect of it, if coach trusted me, he would be he would be uh, upfront with me and tell me things that maybe he didn't want in the paper, but help me understand. You know, situations situations, and certain players, why he used the player, why he didn't, that I was able to kind of use and put in my own words on it without uh, sounding like it was coming from the coach. It was fun for me, and I think probably for you too, in the early 80s, just the personalities that were out there in the coaching profession and college basketball. And and I think within the big, big eight and then the big 12, but I think specifically of obviously Johnny Orr, Billy Tubbs, Norm Stewart. When I think of the Big Ten, I think of Judd Heathcote, Bobby Knight, even though he rubs people wrong a lot of times. He did, he had a bigger-than-life personality. Was that one of the more enjoyable parts of your job in that era, just to, to be around those guys and get to know those great personalities even more? Yeah, it was a, it was a great time. I mean, we didn't have social media like we do today, so everyone wasn't uh, quite so protective. Coach Orr was an absolute beauty, of course, and 
I remember he uh, he he loved Norm Stewart and he loved Jack Hartman and didn't necessarily love Billy Tubbs. I mean, he you would ask him about it, he'd say, We got great coaches in the league. We got Norm Stewart and we got Jack Hartman, we got Tubbs. You know, he, he never <laughs> even used his first name but but uh yeah, that that was a that was an absolute great time. Uh, to be to be covering sports. Yeah, and you just never knew what you were going to get with a press conference or uh, a media availability. I mean, the, a public speaking engagement, it just seemed like there was a wildness to it. It was just kind of fun. It, 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 not not as much concern about the political correctness of everything, but, man, you could get some you could get some good stories out of it. What, what were a few of your favorite Johnny Orr stories? Oh, man, uh, if we had 10 hours, but... <laughs> Right when he got the job, he was going around the summer, you know, meeting as many people as he could. And that, that's where he was at his best. And come up and say, you know, this is a heck of a job. If we just had, didn't have to play those damn games. He just, I mean, I, I think there's so many quotes and so many games. Uh, give me your top two or three if if you're uh, able to. I know that with Johnny, some of it, you know. <laughs> yeah. So I hear, the language, I hear, yeah. you might have to adjust the language a little bit. But uh, just give me a couple of your favorites. Well, well, one of my all-time favorites was a game that Coach Orr wasn't even at. He he was 0-10 as Iowa State's coach in Norman, and then he had a bad back, and he couldn't go to Norman. And Cyclones won, 1991, I think. Uh, Cyclones won, I think it was 97-88. And so I figured, I'm going to call his house. I was in Norman. I said, I'll call him back in Ames. Rowley answered the phone, you know, go Cyclones. And I said, well, I'm sure Coach, is Coach Orr could even talk. I know he had a bad back. She goes, oh, let me get him. He gets on the phone. He says, oh, boy, how about those guys? He was just so <laughs> excited. And then he told me, you know, I get that win. I get that win, not Hellahan. So uh, <laughs> that was a big one. And my other Oklahoma game, I'll never forget, was the game uh, Tom Schaefer banked in a little runner yeah. top of the key by 15-footer to win by basket. It was 1987. And, at halftime, Oklahoma, that was a great Oklahoma team. Kennedy and Grant, McAllister, Ricky Grace, Brian Seeger was a shooter. And Oklahoma's up 10 at half, and they're going to play at the end of the first half. And the Hilton crowd was kind of booing tubs as he walked off the floor, and he just grinned and pointed at the scoreboard. Cyclones come back, Schaefer wins the game, and after the game, Tubbs says uh, he wouldn't have a press conference, got him going up to the tunnel. He says, congratulations to Iowa State, we have a plane to catch. <laughs> that was it. That was the first conference. So, and of course, there was there. Was, I had written a story, John, about uh, Iowa State's uh, trouble winning on the road in conference play under Johnny, and and this was heading into a game at Colorado, the one place he had won some games. And apparently, he didn't like the story because, as I recall, Iowa State won the game by a point, and uh, Coach Orr came out of the locker room, saw me, came right over to me, stuck out that bony finger, put it in my chest, and says. I don't want to, want to read another word about my road record. So uh, that's something. And, and the good news is we joked about it all the time. I'd say, hey, tell me about that road record. And he would just, you know, laugh. To me, the biggest memory, though, was that LaFester game, the 102-100 game against Iowa. Actually, earlier in the year, Iowa State had won at Purdue, and Purdue was ranked second in the country. Preseason NIG, mm-hmm. that's a game that a lot of people don't remember. I, I, I just remember we had a – editor at the register who saw preseason NIT and thought it was an exhibition game and put a little one-column head on the story. It was on the right-hand column. And I saw the paper next day. I flipped out. Well, then I go out to the airport. The team comes is coming back there. And the players are trying to get a newspaper. And I went up to, I think, uh, 
who, I can't remember who the player was. I might have been picked then. I said, hey, that, that machine's broken. I tried to get one. I didn't want him to see a tape. That's how embarrassed <laughs> I was. But then, you know, a few, so a few weeks later, then we had the Lefester game. It was just absolute crazy. I mean, Hilton was living and dying on every possession. Both teams yeah. were scoring. No one could stop each other. And Lefester just keeps scoring and scoring, and Iowa can't stop him. And go to, oh, he had 46, I think, and Coach Hallahan at one point said to Coach Orr, he said, do you think we need to get Fester out of there, get him arrested? And Johnny says, hell no, we're going to go with him until he dies. We've got to have him out there. Uh, <laughs> and after the game was crazy, uh, there was a question about the clock. Coach Orr has Gary Close by the lapels. Jesse Jackson is there holding court. Why he's there, I still know why. But uh, just one of the all-time great basketball games I've ever witnessed. I, I think – Rick, as much fun as the games themselves during the, those early Johnny years was the environment that he created. Just, it was so unique. And when the band started playing that Tonight Show theme and he'd come out and punch that air, unless you were there, and it's so hard to describe to the students that I work with now in our office or, or something like that, I can show them a video of it, but you had to have been there and feel that, that energy just burst through the roof when Johnny would come out before a game. And just, it was just, I've never seen anything that matched a guy's personality more than that introduction did with Johnny Orr. Dave Cox gets credit for that, uh, associate AD at the time, and Johnny, boy, he didn't want to do that. He, he, he was embarrassed to do it. He says, you know, because they were struggling to win games at the time. But you're absolutely right, John. You had to be there and experience that. But the anticipation of that moment of him coming out on the floor is something I will never forget. And and I thought one of the all-time classiest things Fred Hoiberg ever did as coach was having bringing Johnny back and having him do it one more time. That was a yeah. very emotional, very emotional moment. And I know in, in talking to Coach Orr how much he loved that because he he loved he loved Fred Freddie easy called him. He absolutely loved that guy. And for Fred to do that and give Johnny one more one more trip out the onto the floor at Hilton, I just thought was that was something. It was absolutely priceless and fortunate to have experienced that. Well, and especially because they were playing Michigan. And, uh, you know, the winningest coach in in the history of both schools. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you just couldn't have mapped it out any better. And then it was just a couple months later when we lost Coach Orr. So, yeah, you're exactly right. That was was just one of those times when life works out. You know, I, I think you mentioned Fred. When I think of Coach Orr, I, of course, think of him and his bigger-than-life personality, but I also think of all the great players that he brought in, and you covered so many of them in your time covering his teams. Who's kind of stood out to you as maybe the best player or players during the Orr era? And then maybe who was was the guy that was maybe a little bit more valuable but didn't necessarily get that label of best but, you know, was, was certainly a guy that they couldn't have won without? You know, to answer the second question first, I always thought Gary Tompkins was a bit underrated, John. He was the point guard, and that's when they really got things rolling. And I just thought, he wasn't a big scorer, but he just had that feel for the game, had a great court presence, and got the ball to guys in the right positions. And, and they really started getting some confidence with Gary. Obviously, Fred was just such a dynamic player. You know, a hometown guy stays home. He could have gone to Stanford. He could have gone to a lot of places. But he wanted to play for Coach Orr. In fact, you know, uh, Coach Orr promised promised him he would never leave. He would be Fred's coach all the way through. Well, then Johnny retired with the year to go in Fred's career, and uh, 
I remember Johnny was worried about that. He says, you know, I promised them, and I think he talked to uh, Eric and Karen, uh, Fred's parents, and made sure it was okay to retire with a year left. LeFester, LeFester was a great score, but I, I loved watching Jeff Hornacek play. I mean, you talk about a guy with a total command of the game, and when that ball was in his hands, and uh, you knew good things were going to happen. That shot he hit against Miami of Ohio, I can still see that, sh- that shot going in. Uh, and which which leads us to that famous Michigan game and uh, Coach Orr beating the Wolverines. I mean, uh, those were those were great times because it's always fun when you start getting it rolling, you know, John. When it's been down a little and uh, people forget how good it was. Once you start winning again, man, that that's a great feeling. It's a great time. Johnny was able to bring in so many good players from Michigan. You mentioned Gary Tompkins, and uh, that was certainly one of them. But, I, you know, Barry Stevens and, and Jeff Grayer and and just getting that pipeline going with Justice Thigpen. And, and it was kind of an untapped area for Iowa State before that, and, and it really turned into something that to this day Iowa State can still go into Michigan, and you see a, a Monte Morris there now. It, it, it opened a pipeline that's, continued on for Iowa State even after Coach Orr was gone. Vic Alexander, too, is another one. Uh, but but yeah. uh, you're absolutely right because once you get in there and you've got to establish a reputation, I mean, uh, in Michigan, they they all can't go to Michigan State and Michigan, and there are a ton of good players there. And it just made it made sense to, to go in there and hit that area. And, man, you're right. Talk about some great players coming from that state to, to Ames and having tremendous careers. You were part of that transition then when when Coach Boyd came on board and you know really different style from Coach Orr, really different. And uh, I, th- I thought those players handled that very well that first year. Uh, you know, really having to change. And Coach Floyd was such a tactician. I think as Eric Hefts would describe him, he says he's one of the most calculating people that he's ever met. He he never had an action without a thought behind it, you know, and a plan behind it. And Tim, it was it was interesting just to kind of pick his brain because I, I thought he was one of the more thoughtful coaches, strategy-wise, just the whole – everything about the program. I think Tim was just a unique individual. Tell me a little bit about your relationship with Tim. And, you know, he, he really trusted you, liked you, and, boy, he had some great teams and great players here as well. Right when he got the job, I, I – uh... I was looking for a little insight in this guy, and he invited me to sit in on a coaches' meeting. We had James Green and Gar Foreman, now the Bulls gym, and we. Had, and I thought, okay, this is just, he's just, you know, this is just going to be like uh, getting pretty at a parade. They're really not going to talk nuts and bolts with me there. Man, I was wrong. They they got into everything, and I was able to to experience that, and that really gave me great insight to him. You you uh, you described him perfectly, John. You know. He's the only guy I can ever remember would intentionally get teams into the bonus in the first half. <laughs> yeah. He would, I mean, I, I I would shake my head and I'd explain that to me. And he'd explain it. It made a little sense. He would he would talk about a game. He would say, uh, it's not about our 68 points. It's about their 55. He, he was so consumed with the defensive end, limiting teams and, and slowing them down. I always thought that, you know, that, that class where you had uh, Fred and you had Lauren Meyer and you had uh, Julius Nikolikin and Harold Beecham, too. Those guys, man, what a change. So and it's their last year. You kind of feel sorry for them. Fred had one of his greatest games under Floyd, if you remember, 
I think it was 90, 95, yeah, that was their senior year. And they, remember they beat Kansas was ranked third, I think, and Fred had 32, scored 17 yep. straight down the stretch. I'll never forget that game. He was, he was on fire and they couldn't stop him. But I think, uh, you just touched on something because, you know, Fred has always said what a great experience it was for him to have played under both Coach Orr and Coach Floyd. And it probably helped him a lot to become the coach that he is today. I always thought about Coach Floyd, the thing that he did best basketball strategy-wise was he knew what you wanted to do, and he was really good at taking it away and saying, you're going to have to do something else to beat me because I'm taking away your first and second options. You're going to have to go to your third and fourth options. And if you have to do that, I think I can beat you. He he was very confident in his abilities as a coach. He wasn't afraid to take a few gambles, uh, see if it worked. I mean, I I always when I think of him, I think of I I always think of the '97 NCAA tournament, John, when they beat a good Illinois State in the first round, and then Clay Edwards hits a big hook shot, and they beat Cincinnati 67-66, and Damon Flynn I think missed one at the buzzer, so then they're playing in Sweet 16, then they're playing UCLA to go to the Elite Eight, and I still see Cameron Dollar banking that shot straight on after plowing over J.C. Holloway and how Kelvin Cato didn't block that. I've looked at a picture of that from about four different angles. There's no way he doesn't block it, but he doesn't. He misses it, and it goes in. The Dedrick Willoughby was incredible that night. Uh, Tim could find guys. You know, it's like when when Tubbs was coaching in Oklahoma, Johnny would say, I don't know where he's getting these guys. He must be on the FBI most wanted list or something because no one had ever heard of him. Well, well Tim, you know, Tim would, he found Kelvin Cato. He finds uh, Dedrick Willoughby, guys who are looking for one more chance and, and molds them into a team. That that 97 team, five senior starters and uh, coming from diverse backgrounds, but they all bought in. They all subscribed to what he wanted to do, and that's why, you know, if you got one or two guys who don't buy in, you're in trouble. They all bought in, and that, that to me was the beauty of his coaching too. The guys he brought in and put on the floor were willing to do what he told them. Another coach that you were – uh, very close with was Greg McDermott. Me too. And I will to this day say I think Greg McDermott's a great basketball coach. And it's so strange how life works sometimes because I still can't put a finger on why he wasn't successful as he as we thought he would be at Iowa State. And, you know, he proved it before he came here, and he's certainly proven it after he left. Nothing personality-wise would, would lead you to believe that he wasn't a great fit for Iowa State, but just for whatever reason, and maybe it's just bad luck, it didn't work for him here, but I know you, you hold him in high regard as well. Yeah, I really do, and I consider him a terrific basketball coach. Sometimes, John, it, it just doesn't fit. It just doesn't work, and you can't explain why, like you said. And, and in Max's case, I think it came down to missing out a few key, key players in recruiting. They would be so close to a guy, and he'd you know, last second he'd go somewhere else. And key players, I, I'll never forget one, one game. There's a they bring in this junior college kid and he's standing there and hadn't been to Hilton before. Watches the game, loves the Hilton experience. Comes down to Iowa State and Marquette. He ends up signing with Marquette. Jimmy Butler. I mean, <laughs> a player like a player like that. You know, yeah. not that highly recruited. Mac and his staff was was in on him and they just didn't get him and. and just it was hard. They never got any true momentum, and it's just it remains a head scratcher to this day why that happened. Did you learn as much about coaches from watching them conduct a practice as you did from watching games, or even more maybe? The coaches who have 
giving me access to practice. I thought that was fascinating. The fascinating thing to me was the give and take a coach would have with his players. One guy can take him in the face. And sometimes I remember one time practicing, Coach Floyd was all over Fred. I mean, absolutely all over him, chewing him out. Fred could do nothing right. And afterwards, Tim says, well, what do you think? I said, man, you're on you're on Hoiberg. He says, uh, first of all, he says, Fred can take it. Second of all, I was sending a message that if I'm going to get on the best player on the team, then they better watch out because I'll get on them too. He was using using Fred to to teach to, to a teaching moment. That to me tells you everything about a coach to see how he how his players respond to him. And a good coach knows where he, how far he can go with each guy without crushing him. And uh, I thought Tim was a master of that too. And, and other coaches I've seen do the same thing. Coach Orr was Coach Orr. You know everyone thinks, oh, you know, Johnny, here's Johnny, he's having fun. But, man, he was, he'd get after it in practice, too. And, and another thing, I love watching coaches give their assistants uh, some room to coach and do their thing. I think all the great coaches always let their assistants be involved and, and make decisions for the good of the whole team. Well, how blessed do you feel, Rick, that you've had the career you've had where you've had it because, I mean, to grow up in Iowa and, and admire these uh, universities and, and see, you know, four, four really fun to cover Division One programs within the state and have all had tremendous success at one point or another. And, and maybe people aren't familiar. I mean, now it's more beats, and so certain guys will be assigned to certain teams. But for a long time there, you were just writing about everything college basketball with with all the schools in the state. Do you feel pretty blessed to have uh, done it when you did it? Oh, I, I, I'll I tell you, it was uh, blessed is, uh, that's being tame. I, I I just was so fortunate to be, to be the time, like the, the I call it the, the golden moment of college basketball. We are, you're right, we're so lucky in the state to have four teams in, uh, you know, last couple of years we've had three of them in the NCAA tournament. That's just remarkable per capita, and 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 not only that, John, but the, the athletes, most of them have been great to work with, and I think we've just had some absolutely tremendous coaches to work with too. So uh, there's a lot there's a lot of great memories for me. I'll never forget, and that's why I'm going to miss it, miss doing it from here on out. Well, I've got a I've got a feeling you're still going to be around quite a bit, and. Uh... <laughs> and uh, still, still finding a way to enjoy it uh, next basketball season. But you know, your work was second to none, Rick. And I, I just really appreciate you taking a few minutes today and sharing some of your memories of cyclone basketball. So many great memories, and uh, and just thanks for doing that. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, always enjoyable talking to you, John. You uh, you do a great job at the cyclones, and I enjoy your work immensely. Thanks, Rick. Appreciate it.